Audrey, and I'm Melissa Searcha. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome back legendary comic book creator, Mr. Tom Pyre. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, I think you were you were on a few months ago with Casey. That was that was a great interview. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? Very well. Very well. Awesome. Uh, really cool. Yeah, you've got a lot of stuff going on and books releasing. So let's just get right into it. I sure. wanted to ask you, you know, you've been in the comic book industry for you know 20 plus years and have had some really high profile positions. What prompted you to start Ahoy Comics? Well, I live in Syracuse, New York, and two of my oldest friends here, Frank Camuso, who's a cartoonist and graphic novelist, and Hart Seeley, who was a uh, journalist, a print journalist for many, many years. We just started talking about doing something together, doing a caper together. So uh, some money was found, and, and we decided comics, because Frank and I are like desperately into comics. Hart, not so much, but he it was kind of his idea. Let's just do something weird. Yeah. To uh, fill his post-journalism life. Nice. And do you find it's a different experience than from when you were like working for, you know, Marvel or DC Vertigo? It's, it's different in a lot of ways, probably the same in a lot of ways. A huge difference is that when you, when you work for a big company, there's like such a huge support staff that you don't have to think about most things. You can just do your own job. But when you're with a smaller company, there's a real learning curve. You have to learn things about business and distribution and uh, all all sorts of things. And uh, we were very smart, I think, to bring in some professionals who knew what they were doing so we didn't have to just blunder our way through life. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that must get challenging if you're trying to still create and write and, and then having to do all this business technical stuff as well. I mean, do you find yourself like just getting uh, stressed out at all? Or or are you just like you said, you have this other team that you just can kind of say, hey, you know, what, do all this stuff so I can create? Well, you know, we did bring some good people in who know what they're doing, but I'm more involved than I would have been at like DC, say, because there's there's simply no reason for an editor at DC to go to say a marketing meeting or, well, and then now that's wrong, a circulation meeting or something, some business meeting. There's just, you wouldn't even be, they would just, if you walked in the room, they would say, what are you doing here? But, and they'd be right to, but here, you know, we have a, we have a weekly meeting of about eight people sort of handling the whole business and okay. and it's nice it feels good to be intimately connected with some things I never had to think about yeah it must be yeah it's different when you have a smaller base team that it feels like mm-hmm. more people can be more uh, like you said intimate with each other and it's not just you know a bunch of execs and suits that you never see on a daily basis mm-hmm. that's great Another huge difference is that when I was working, you know, on staff at DC many, many years ago, we were all in the same office, <laughs> we were in the same building. And wow. so that was our sort of our social life too. We worked long hours and we hung out together and that was kind of great. Yeah, that uh, was an exciting time. So, so now a days, of course, even if I were working for a big company, everyone's just working at home. So we don't really have that. Right. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, everybody literally is working from home now <laughs> for the past yeah. year and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure it has its uh, pros and cons. You know, as, you know, I'm a creator myself too. So I feel like you didn't mm-hmm. you definitely get that space that you need that sometimes you didn't get pre-pandemic, but at the same time. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah. But even pre-pandemic, we didn't really have like a headquarters that we all reported to. 
I was, I had an office. I actually had an office in an office building, but it was just me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But it must have been nice too, though. Like you could have gotten out, walked around and, you know, cause we do need that creative <laughs> inspiration from real life, <laughs> which I think we're all kind of lacking right now. Oh boy. Are we ever, are we ever, it's kind of amazing that we're this resilient. I mean, I would be, we should just be like, I don't know, just <laughs> sitting on the floor, staring into space by now, I should think. Right. Well, I think some of it has to do with technology, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I was talking to someone uh, a little while ago about this and she had said something where, you know, can you imagine if if the pandemic had happened, you know, 20, 25 years ago when we didn't have, you know, all these things, all these tools at our, our fingertips. I mean, think about how you know, incredibly bored and isolating it would have been as, I guess, with the technology, we were able to, you know, connect more. We would have been sending each other faxes all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, just getting into the comic book industry itself, you know, how how has the industry changed in your opinion from, you know, from like when you first started till now? Oh, boy, that's a really good uh, question. I first started, I really became full-time about 30 years ago, a little over 30 years ago. So everything's all different. You know, we even, that was even before, it might've been before Diamond, but it was certainly before Diamond was the only distributor of comics, which it was for many, many years. That's different. The technology, the way you make comics is entirely different. I mean, we used to, I haven't seen a piece of original artwork, maybe since we started Ahoy four years ago, I've seen maybe three, four pieces of original artwork. I know they exist, but they don't come through me. Wow. Uh, but when we used to have all of the original artwork would come through us and we would get it lettered and we would proofread it and we would write corrections in blue pencil on the boards. <laughs> and there was a production crew that had white paint and India ink and they had a waxer to stick paper to paper and that's all gone, <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely gone. Everything they knew how to do and everything they did and all the skill they brought to it, oh. it's uh, entirely obsolete. But it was, a, it was a huge part of the company, the production department. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it would have been impossible to function without it. Yeah. Do you miss doing it that way? Or, or are you kind of happy that you have a more efficient way of doing it? Well, I didn't have to do it that way right. because I was an editorial. So I don't know. I don't really miss anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you how long ago this was. Uh, my desk at DC Comics had a typewriter and an ashtray. Oh. <laughs> that is that is old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, you know, you are really prolific in comics. And I'm, I'm curious as to like with your experience, can you spot like the trends as far as like, do you know or have an inkling of like, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Where's comics heading or where do you want it to head? I, you know, I keep my head down and just try to do (laughs) the best comics I can do. I don't really worry about the larger world because it, it feels like a distraction to me. One thing is, you know, if anyone really knew how to make a hit comic, they would do it all the time. And nobody does it all the time. So that means to me that nobody knows. So uh, there's, I don't know if there's much that can be learned. I know I used to, this is an extremely dated reference, but uh, they, they, you know, 
in DC, there'd be people who'd go, you know, this is popular. Let's do this. That's just like this popular thing. Yeah. And I, I, I was just like, kids know the difference. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and what I, the dated part was, I'd say kids know the difference between mad and cracked, but which is yeah. something nobody would even get now. But, but I, I, readers know the difference if you're expressing yourself or just trying to copy somebody down the street. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that it, it is hard to spoon feed, you know, people because I think yeah. people are pretty intelligent as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing I thought was really fascinating is that you have this background in political cartoons. And I'm just curious, like, how how is that process of of going about to create a cartoon like that? And, you know, what would you get your inspiration from? Wow, you did do some homework. I did a sort of a comic strip in an alternative newspaper for about 12 years before I got into mainstream comics. Okay. And it was it was a way to... See, I grew up in Syracuse, and I had no idea how to, like, enter comics. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like today. You kind of had to live in New York City, for one thing, which I wouldn't have been able to afford to do. <laughs> and the, the, the comics industry was almost all people who would just come to the office in person and drop off their work. And that didn't really change till the 80s, or like FedEx. Never mind. Now it's, you know, you can just send anything anywhere over the Internet. And it's wonderful. Yeah. But so it was very, so I just, I, I loved comics more than anything. So I just kept my hand in by doing, by just taking advantage of this local opportunity that I had. And I loved it. I loved it. I was, it, it's good to be the person making jokes when people are doing terrible things to the world. <laughs> it's better to be the person making jokes than the person either doing or getting them done to you directly. You can feel like a real wise guy, you know. I liked it. And I I got to draw a lot. My drawing is really not something you'd ever want to look at. (laughs) uh, It it kept me going and really indirectly led to the opportunities I did get in comics. Okay. Do you ever like sporadically get ideas for, for political cartoons now? Or are you just like way far removed from it at this point? I mean, there's so much fodder in the news that I'm sure could inspire some hilarious pieces. Well, I think, you know, I, I keep up on the news and I yeah. I sort of obsess about it a little bit, like a lot of other people do, like I probably did back then. But I don't really come up with jokes for it, except unless just in conversation. You know, you might be talking to your friends about it and you're all saying funny things about it, but... I don't really think about it that way anymore. There's no like burden on me to, to do that. So yeah, <laughs> I've always been like as marginally productive a person as I could be. Like I, I did this comic years ago called Our Man, which lasted 25 issues, oh. which it probably people might have been who liked it would have been expecting it to last longer. And they always ask me, they, I still get asked, what stories did you want to tell with Our Man that? that you didn't get to tell. And, and the answer is zero. There are none because I didn't think of a story until it was due. Right. That's an interesting process. I think that's probably more productive, you know, because I think writers, we sometimes think ahead of ourselves and get distracted by, you know, a little plot bunny when we're supposed to be working on something else, you know? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There's nothing more attractive than the job you're not 
supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And then you have all these unfinished projects, which mm-hmm. <laughs> is like the the classic uh, writer's trope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'd love to talk about you know your new your new book, Penalty Man, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. What is what is it about, and what inspired you to to write this one? Well, Penalty Man is about a perfect, charming, powerful, charismatic, kind superhero who everybody just adores and and is in complete awe of and and is charmed by. And he is playing along with it that he's unraveling because deep down he thinks he's awful. He's the, everyone else in the world thinks he's wonderful and he thinks he's awful. And the reason he thinks he's awful is he was rejected by the society he grew up in in the far future for mm. reasons. He's called penultimate because he's not the ultimate stage of evolution. He's the next to last stage of evolution. And so the, the, he was raised by the ultimates and they rejected him and sent him back to era where full of morons who would appreciate him was their view. And that was us. And <laughs> so he really is in trouble because he doesn't, he just, his self-loathing is growing and growing and he's got an android sidekick understudy assistant who sees this and decides to fix him. Hmm. So it's a story about can, can android fix a human? Can a sidekick fix a superhero? And can anybody fix anybody? Wow. That's really interesting. It's an interesting dichotomy just to have, you know, a character that's sort of, you know, I guess an anti-hero, at least in his own mind, having these expectations put on him to, you know, do whatever fantastic things the rest of the world is expecting of him, but then like not being okay with himself. And what, you know, kind of prompted you to go in that direction with writing that type of a character? I thought of a particular gag that is forms the basis of uh, the first issue. Which there is a, the first issue is completely, there's a total preview of the entire issue at IGN.com right now. So people can go read it. Oh, cool. Rather than hear me blather about it. But <laughs> basically there's, there's something that happens that is a tremendous blow to his ego and it makes him look terrible to himself. But these things, I mean, this was seeded long ago. I mean, yeah. it just sort of brings out feelings he already had. And this, thing that happened makes him look terrible and makes his android look look like a genius so there's that friction existing when the android decides he'd like to fix him and how many issues do you have planned is this going to be an ongoing series no there were five issues and they're all in the trade paperback that comes out this month we might revisit it someday but uh, not necessarily it feels like the whole story to me right now Okay. And then do you, once you, you finish the story, do you tend to kind of just lock it away and start on the next project right away? Or do you take time in between projects to kind of refill the well? Oh, there's no time. <laughs> <laughs> if I took, I mean, I could take time to refill the well and I would. That's great. So. Another, another series I wanted to ask you about, I was just really curious, is your Edgar Allan Poe series. It just is so fascinating to me. How, why Edgar Allan Poe and, and why, why go in the direction you did? <laughs> well, Edgar Allan Poe is a familiar name mm-hmm. and a familiar face. 
and he's dead, so we don't have to pay him, and he can't sue us. <laughs> he can't tell us to do it over again because he hates it. And so we don't have to do anything for the use of his well-known face and name. Right. And uh, so what we did with him was we turned him into this sort of sad sack who narrates, introduces horror stories. But they're not even really horror stories. They're mostly comedy. They're comedy horror stories. Because the one, one thing that um, we've really tried, we've made an effort to set Ahoy Comics apart by being funny. Like not everything we do is a comedy, mm-hmm. but everything has to be funny on some level and everything has to have a sense of humor. Okay. That's really important to us. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I just, I loved the premise of it, of a, a drunk and angry Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> yeah. Stuck you in this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any ideas for, you know, any other future, you know, literary historical characters that are obviously royalty free that you can, you know. <laughs> the trouble is most of the there are very few who you would recognize mm. a picture of, you know, Mark Twain, maybe mm-hmm. people would recognize. I don't know quite what to do with Mark Twain, but he's out there if we want to use him. I'm looking Albert Einstein would be interesting for like a science fiction book. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can use him or not because states keep license, you know, licensing rights to characters for like, like many, many decades after a person's death. So, yeah. Yeah. He's a very iconic looking figure. People really would is. spot him right away. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. And people feel good about him. It will be, It'd be hard to. It would be hard to know how to mock him the way we can mock Poe, mm. but we'd find a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many positive attributes surrounded, you know, around Einstein. But yeah, you could probably get get into some kind of made up backstory or something. Mm-hmm. Now, how is when you're writing a character like Edgar Allan Poe, or you know, that in that world, do you? Do you enjoy writing in those sort of like oddball, quirky worlds, like versus the superhero world, or do you not have a preference? Or you know, is it just a totally different experience? If I'm if I'm writing, no matter what, the the, the moment I'm looking for, and the thing that keeps me going is the moment where I am entertained. <laughs> <If> something <laughs> happens that uh, makes me laugh, or makes me or surprises me so it, i don't that to me that's more important than what the subject matter is i find it really easy to write stories with a very loose plot structure that demand a lot of humor mm-hmm. like i used to i've written some art simpson comics and some batman 66 stuff and that that stuff is meant to be funny and really I mean, the plot doesn't matter at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have like kind of a semblance of plot. You have a reference to plot. So this is this is like that plot you know already, but you don't have to really follow it or be clever with it. Yeah. You can just fill it with character moments and jokes. And, and to me, that's the easiest kind of writing in the world. And I love it. Yeah. Writing like banter and kind of, would you say you have a dark sense of humor? I guess, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. yeah. 
it ain't funny if nobody's hurting. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> what are some of your inspirations, you know, writing wise that, you know, are aside from there, what you do? There are just so many in comics. I mean, everybody I grew up reading probably put a thumbprint on me, you know. There was a yeah. guy, Steve Gerber, who was tremendous, who I looked up to a great deal. He was a very funny writer for Marvel. He did mm. Howard the Duck and Man Things. So. Oh, yeah. And um, he was just great. Of, of all the writers from the 1970s, I think he's one of the very few whose work holds up today. Still, um, yeah, holds the test of time. And I just like fun writing. I like I like to find things like there's a guy named Pierce Egan who wrote about boxing in the in the 18th century. And he's so funny to read because his use of language is so unnecessarily convoluted and it's now obsolete. <laughs> it's word choices that nobody would make today. And the fact that he's writing about boxing in the 18th century, where it's not even I don't think it's even legal now. Right. <laughs> it was like uh, underground boxing. So I like if I can find something like that that's like that's got its own voice and nobody else is really writing that way. I, I really do enjoy that. That's what you're drawn to. Yeah. What are you are you reading anything currently right now? Like in even like in the form of a prose novel that's you well, know. Last week there was this really wonderful mammoth interview in the New Yorker with John Schwartzwelder, mm-hmm. who was uh, one of their funniest writers ever. Who, who never gives interviews. Uh, he was one of the Simpsons. I'm sorry, funniest writers ever. And uh, it was revealed in the article that he's been self-publishing these novels about a, uh, their humor novels about a uh, private detective. And uh, so I went and I bought the first one. It's called, uh, it's called The Time Machine Did It by John Schwartzwelder. And I'm reading it and it's really funny. You know, it's light. It, it won't stick to your ribs or anything, but there's like 40 good jokes on every page. Nice. Yeah. A lot of, there's so many great books out there right now and it's hard to, it's hard to find the time, honestly, to, to sit down and read, especially when you're, you know, you're busy creating as well. And then there's other things in life, family and, you know, obligations, but you know, it's, it's interesting that when we do sit down to read, I feel like it does really, you kind of have this aha moment, like, Oh yeah, I missed this. You know, this is, yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, the escapism and learning something new. And do you find even, you know, with all of your experience as a writer and as a creator, do you still find like that you've learned something new, whether it be like a technique or an angle? Oh, yeah, I think absolutely. Absolutely. No one knows everything. You can always learn things. Yeah. Um, And sure. what genres... You know, I feel like you have, I was doing a little bit of reading and you are drawn to like the sort of noir, like black and white type of stuff, right? Is that something you're really drawn to? A little bit, a little bit. We did some black and white stuff in Poe just for, just for, I'm always thinking about all the comic books I ever read in my life. And I read a lot when I was a child and there's some I just have a real affection for. And I don't want to be, I don't want to put out nostalgic material, but I think that some of them have virtues that could exist today. And there were there was a wonderful line of black and white comics that horror comics that existed because regular color comics were heavily censored. Hmm. Interesting. Um, uh, so they could 
bypass the censorship. Like regular color, color comics weren't even allowed to have like zombies or vampires. Really? Oh, I did not yeah. know that. Wow. Yeah, it's true. That's why if, if you look at Silver Age comics ever, the re, the, they have a reputation for being goofy. And the reason for that is, is they were so heavily censored. You couldn't have like ultra violent or sexy scenes or anything. So they had to come up with visuals that were something brand new, something nobody else was doing because you, you needed striking visuals, but you couldn't, you couldn't use anything that would, that would anger the, 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 the people who were scolding you all the time. So wow. they would come up with giving the flash a giant future person's head or, <laughs> you know, or making, turning Batman into like a negative, like a negative photo with who can shoot rays from his hands for, for a story, just all this crazy stuff. Wow. And it, it, we owe the censors so much gratitude for this period of comics. Cause it was so good. <laughs> Wait, what, what time period was this when they were doing that? Oh, it was like this, the fifties, there was a huge comic book crackdown in the fifties. Wow. And they were going to make, Certain comic books are illegal. There were congressional hearings on television. Wow. If you told, if, if you wrote or drew comics in 1954 and you told your neighbor that's what you did, your neighbor would never speak to you again. Wow. Uh, you had to lie about what you did for a living. <laughs> that's and insane. so, this, I know it is. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But comics were made the scapegoat for things like juvenile delinquency, extremely unfairly, extremely wrongly, but it happened. So a lot of brilliant companies were put out of business. A lot of brilliant creators never found work again. That's sad. Um, So in order to prevent, in order to protect themselves from government censorship, the comic book industry created their own censorship and they put a seal on the cover approved by the comics code. (laughs) <laughs> and every comic had to follow this extremely conservative list of do's and don'ts. I, I mean, they were all dumb. You couldn't have divorce. Oh my gosh. You couldn't have you couldn't have anyone profiting from crime. You couldn't show the police in a bad light. Wow. For any reason, you couldn't have werewolves, zombies, or vampires. Um, sounds depressing. <laughs> it, but it was extremely depressing, yet it was directly responsible for this creative flowering where they came up with, you know, Superman's fortress of solitude and X-Men's danger room and Mm. all these things that are still in use today and are still, people keep going back to these ideas that, that blossomed in the fifties and sixties because they were, they were great because they weren't just your usual stabbing and shooting, which they would have done if they'd been allowed to. Yeah. So they had to go deeper and figure a way around it. And yeah, yeah. that's that's cool. Well, and, and history kind of repeats itself a little because, you know, when you were telling me about that, it, it reminded me of, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s and early 90s, you know, they did the same thing with the video games and hip hop music, you know, they trying did, to did get rid of it. <laughs> they did it with video games. They did it with music in the, in the 90s. They did it certainly, you know, certainly rap music, but also... Wasn't Tipper Gore? She wanted warrant uh, age ratings on, on. Yeah, yeah, and I think Barbara Bush uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they wanted. They do the same thing, and in the in the early twentieth century, it was newspaper comics. Mm. 
it, any every time we find something we like, they try to make it illegal. Right. <laughs> and try to censor you. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's other people that don't get censored that probably should, <laughs> that just, you know, <laughs> spread misinformation all the time. And you're like, wait, yeah. what about them? <laughs> We're just creating art. <laughs> there's a few I would. Yeah. I would definitely <laughs> muzzle some people. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like sometimes you just have to, like, I haven't seen the news, uh, you know, like watched a full news program in about two months, just because it kind of, it gets you a little riled up, you know, and gets the blood pressure going. And I'll check the headlines just so I'm not completely, you know, unaware of what's going on in the world, but, but just sit and get, you know, cause we would obsess, you know, during the election and before the election, I think we were all just sitting around, you know, watching whatever our, you know, news source was. And do you feel like that kind of like release now, like we're kind of like a collective sigh of, I guess, of relief in a sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's great. Trump is gone. I'll yeah. say it out loud. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. great. He's good. It's, you know, we started Ahoy January 2017. That's when we had meetings that say, let's do this. And the reason, I know the reason we did it then was to give us ourselves something else big to think about. Yeah. <laughs> to save our lives. <laughs> to save our sanity. Yeah. And it was still bad to go through that, even with, worse for other people, obviously, but. Yeah, I feel I feel a great sense of relief, and I also feel very you know wary about the future too. I mean, uh, the stuff that's going on with voter suppression, mm-hmm. and yep. So there's, you, you yeah, can't relax entirely, but it's so great to have that right out of there. <laughs> it's like we're on a siesta, if anything, right? <laughs> really, really, and you know, and you get you get you get to the point where you, you're you're. You're just submersing yourself, you're submerging yourself in all this news, and you f- it feels kind of like you're helping by doing that, but you're really not. Right. <laughs> it doesn't affect anything. No. It just makes you more miserable. Exactly. Yeah. Just start getting more cranky and drink more. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, Tell me about it. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. You know, especially just, you know, the past year talking to people through this, you know, like you know, at home and we're all in our little confines. And I think the the majority of, you know, the people we surround ourselves with are probably, you know, uh, people that we agree with, of course, I think everyone does that. But do you find like, do you think that the, the pandemic affected your writing at all as far as like the stories you decided to tell? I don't know. I don't know why I make those decisions sometimes. Some, and I'll get asked questions like that and have no idea. And then a week later, I'll think of the answer. Because I'm just going through a story. I'm writing it. And I'm just, at every point, I'm thinking, should I do this or should I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's like finding your way through a maze or something. And I'm not really thinking of that. Yeah. Do you... In the way a reader might, I guess. Do you outline or do you? are you a discovery writer? I like to have some idea of where it's going, but that can change. And yeah, more of a just, I used to be a heavier outline writer, and then I became more of uh, what you call a discovery writer because I just think the stuff feel it feels truer to the characters. If you're making decisions when you're in the weeds with them rather mm-hmm. than like planning their lives before they happen, right? <laughs> and it just feels it feels more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way because you're not just sort of checking off a bunch of boxes that you thought of last Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I used to outline really heavily as well when I was starting out. And I noticed yeah. that I don't 
do it as often. Certain things I will, but I am almost wondering if it's it's one of those things where, you know, when in the beginning you have so many doubts about writing and, you know, we're self-critical and possibly now there's this confidence level, you know, of like, oh, I can do this. I can, I can write this. I don't maybe need an outline. I mean, do you find it, it maybe has something to do with that? Just like trusting yourself more. I think that's exactly right. Once you've, you need experience before you can, you know, take the training wheels off. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's an ever evolving process, really. I mean, mm-hmm. the techniques I, I used, you know, two years ago, obviously I don't use anymore. And do you, do you have a, the same process or has your process changed as well? I probably, but well, maybe the first 25% of my career, right? Yeah. I was like, you know, a, uh, more of an outliner and more of a not really trusting myself writer. Yeah. I, I wrote something with Jamie Delano, who was, uh, when I was an editor at DC, I worked at Vertigo, which uh, was their adult mm-hmm. kind of horror imprint. And a great writer named Jamie Delano was uh, the original writer on Hellblazer. Yeah, uh, I know. John Constantine. Mm-hmm. He's so gifted, so great. And I, I was writing superhero stuff, and I was like, you know, I would I would sort of sit down and write all the pictures. I'd write what was going to happen on each page in a little sentence. Then I would go back and write all the pictures, and I'd be ready for the characters to talk. <laughs> and I thought that was like really the pro way to do it. And then I wrote something with Jenny. We collaborated, and he just sat down on a blank screen and started writing dialogue. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's not what you do. And he said, that's how I do it. And boy, those characters were so alive because the scenes were built around them. They weren't built around the scenes. And it was such a better way to do it for me, I found. And that I did it that way ever since. Yeah. I mean, I definitely believe that, yeah, character is the most important thing. I mean, we can have a great plot. You can have a great world that you've built, but the characters are are what are going to make the reader, you know, fall in love with, with the story, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you'd like to just spend time with the characters without having to worry about plot. Yeah. I think readers like that. Yeah, I, I do an exercise called a you know, writing sprint where you just set a timer and, and just write. And it's always a great way to just get into your character more, you know, just scribble, you know, whatever comes to mind. And and it's just has nothing to do with plot. It's just ramblings of the character. And I find mm-hmm. that to be, you know, helpful, beneficial to get inside a character's head because sometimes it's challenging. I mean, do you ever have characters that just like they will not give you anything? Well, they don't, they end up not getting much to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, all right, you're cut. <laughs> I mean, like, well, there's, yeah. Well, I'm in a lucky position because I'm creating stuff now. You know, if a character doesn't click with me, they simply just don't get the screen time. And I'm the boss. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but if I were to, like, say, write The Titans uh, for DC, and, and it would be my duty to think up, to think of what to do with Tempest, <laughs> whether I wanted to or not, you know. Yeah. Um, and I would do it. Yeah. So are you enjoying the freedom of of creating your own content and being in charge. I like it. I like, I do like that quite a lot. And I like that we're doing stories that are contained like each book. Like if, 
if the if the Brooklyn Bridge gets blown up in one of our books, you can still use it in another book because it didn't happen in your book. That's how I that has been wonderful because you get to tell the story you want to tell and what you think you need to tell without someone interrupting you and saying, We're having an alien invasion next month. <laughs> so whatever you were planning for your comic book, it's really got to take the back seat to this. And that's that's a hard way to write. Yeah, that's got to be stifling. <laughs> it, it, it can be frustrating because if there's a lot of that, you never quite get to tell your story. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, what they do, they do very successfully. And yeah. People love and respond to the shared universes and more power to them. It's just, it's, it's nice to have this too. Yeah. Well, there are so many you know, indie comic book companies that are that are coming about. I mean, they have been for a while, but I feel like they're coming more to the forefront nowadays. You've got, you know, like Scout Comics and Bad Idea. And it must be great too to be a part of that community and reaching a whole new audience that, you know, because not everyone's into the the superhero comics or the shared universes. So mm-hmm. there is, you know, it must be cool to to get to see a different uh, fan base. It is nice. It is nice. I, our fans seem to come from everywhere. You know, they're they're indie fans and made and mainstream big company fans. Yeah. Um, and really, just the last year, I don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but I've been feeling a lot of like ahoy maniacs out there. <laughs> <laughs> just really love it, and that's a great feeling. That's awesome. So, what are some of the other titles that you guys have coming up? Coming up? Yeah, from Ahoy. Uh, we've got one called Snelson. It's S-N-E-L-S-O-N. Comedy is dying, right? Okay. And it's about a guy who was a stand... He is a stand-up comic, and he started in the 90s when he was young, and he was edgy, and he dressed a certain way, and he almost made it big, but he didn't. And uh, that sounds fun. Now he's he's around today, and he's still doing the same kind of edgy material, and he's still <laughs> dressing the same way. <laughs> and it's it's going over even worse than it did then. <laughs> so he's got to. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he there might be a brush with the alt right, and there might be a brush with podcasting. Oh, okay. It's by Paul Constant and Fred Harper. Paul did a series for us a couple years ago called Planet of the Nerds, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is wonderful too, but in a different way. That's awesome. And when is is that out now, or is that just coming up soon? It'll be coming up. That's in our next wave. Okay. It'll be coming up in, in a couple months, I guess. I should have dates in front of me, but I don't. That's okay. <laughs> we can but look at <laughs> There's one called Black's Myth, Black apostrophe S. Oh, yeah. I, I keep seeing the promo for that. Yeah, it's it, that's great. It's by uh, Eric Palicki and the artist Wendell Cavalcante, and it's about a punk rock private detective who is a werewolf. Oh, wow. That's, and that's usually all I have to say to people, and then they want to read it. And yeah, they're that's awesome. <laughs> they're right to do that. That's a great hook, too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Penultimate, uh, again, this month, it's in the collected edition, is in stores. And I want to mention Alan Robinson, the artist, because 
Oh, absolutely. It absolutely would not be the comic it is without him. His characters are so emotional. Mm-hmm. And he really, his approach really carried and directed a lot of the story because I, I saw what he could do with, with people who were upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the characters are very vivid. What was... Uh, so I'm guessing you had probably an amazing experience collaborating with them. Does he, did he just do it based off of your dialogue and then, or did you kind of work simultaneously in creating it? So uh, it might, some of it was just plot script. I would just give him like a bunch of events and he would, he would okay. uh, make pages out of it. And that was really nice. He did a great job at that. That's great. And I then mean, I would put the words on later and some of it was full script and he, you know, I, I dare, I defy you to, Mm-hmm. Look through it and see which pages are which, because yeah, because he did a bang up job on all of it. Yeah, I'm always so in awe of of people that have the skill of that level. It's such a gift, yeah. you know. He's terrific, just terrific. Yeah, had you um, collaborated with him before? Well, he drew Planet of the Nerds, Paul Constance thing I just mentioned, and so we'd worked with him, and he did some stuff in our own Edgar Allan Poe book. He did the last few covers of that too. And we love working with Alan. That's great. Now for um, any of our you know listeners out there that are trying to get into comics, does Ahoy accept submissions or is it say, do you have to have an in, yeah. you know? <laughs> the best, the, the most surefire way to submit to us, well, nothing surefire, but the way you have the best chance, we also, we call it ourselves comic magazines or what we put out, we call it comic magazines because in the back after the comic book story, we have uh, short fiction, poetry, nonfiction prose, all with illustrations. And we have a pretty big appetite for those. There's like a few in every comic we put out. And uh, if you go to our website, comicsahoy.com and scroll all the way down, the first page, you'll see a, a submissions link. If you click that, we have a portal to submit to uh, things like that. But we're looking for short prose fiction and nonfiction. I'd okay. say like uh, 750 to 1500 words. Nice. And, um, black and white. We, If we get a look at your portfolio, we can assign, we, we, uh, assign you black and white illustrations for these things. The back of the book is like, it's this colorful comic for the first two thirds in the back of the book is like this gray, black and white bunch of words. And it's like a whole different feeling. And I love it. That's really cool. Yeah. That makes me want to definitely have a copy of one then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, you know, as also like a kind of an advice question for, for two parts here for readers, let's say readers that are, new to comics that just start are kind of starting out, whether it be because they're young or just never got into it before. The comic book industry can seem pretty overwhelming, you know, as to where to start, what to pick up, you know, what would be your advice to a new comic book reader? Well, I gotta say, we put out some things that might be really good for somebody who's not. As I said, we're not like a heavy continuity shop, so you don't really have to have read other things before you read one of our things for the most part i mean there's a couple like we do the raw earth maybe you want to have read some comic books to get the jokes in there but we have a wonderful one called ash and thorn by mariah mccourt and sue lee that's about two magicians who 
have to save the world from a monstrous other dimensional entity. And they're both uh, in their 80s. Oh, wow. And uh, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds great. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and we have Captain Ginger by Stuart Moore and June Brigman, which is about a starship that's crewed by cat people. And they act like people and they act like cats. <laughs> and it's really great. That sounds really adorable, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's adorable and it's funny and it's scary. And it's like a real space opera adventure with this added layer of humor that they're cats. That's, that's those are two, those are two comics I would like confidently hand out to anyone who's never read a comic book. Okay. That's awesome. And these comics, I mean, obviously they're on Diamond and, and comic book stores. Do you sell them directly off of your website as well? No, we don't, but we do collect everything. After, after our monthly series are done, after five or six issues come out, we'll do a collected edition, of a paperback. Okay. And uh, those will go to bookstores too. Okay, so, so you could get them like at Barnes & Noble or Amazon as yeah, well. Sure. That's cool. And then the, the second part I wanted to ask you for, for advice. Now, before, you know, these aspiring comic book, whether they be a writer or an artist, before they hit that submission, you know, button and they, what are the, the main things that they should do to, you know, kind of learn the business and perfect their craft and, and really help their odds of getting into the comic book industry? Well, I think the more, the more you concentrate on perfecting your craft, that's the important thing. That's much more important than whether you're getting published or paid or not. Because you, uh, to compete, you need to get to a fairly high level, I think, of, yeah. of ability. And we're human. We have human nature. And it's so completely ordinary for us to think, well, I've written two stories. Let me go. Let me go live off this. <laughs> and yeah. it really does take more than that. Yeah, yeah, it does, definitely doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. But I would say, you know, keep working. If if you're really interested in, you know, getting money and having your name on a book, then if that's your primary interest, I'm afraid it's it, you're in for an unhappy time. But if you really are Long writing, road. <laughs> you really want to be writing, sitting in a chair with your fingers on a keyboard and doing it, if that's what you really want to be doing, then I think you'll have a much better time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's great advice. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a long road. Lots of carpal tunnel syndrome as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one last thing, and you may or may not have an answer to this, so no pressure, but if there was, you know, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now, as far as writing goes? Oh, that's a good one. I like that question. <laughs> Somebody put it to me differently a couple of weeks ago, and they said, what do you wish someone had told you in the beginning? And uh -huh. I said, relax. It's <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> well, it's a slightly different question, but that's, that's my answer to that one. Yeah. Um, I think, I, yeah, I I think I would love to, I would like to have been told it is more about the work than about creating an identity for yourself or being a comic book writer. It's really more about the work. Yeah. The quality of the work rather than well, the brand. The, yeah. And not just the quality of it, but your experience with it. It really has to be something you want to spend time doing. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's great. Perfect. And you would get it, and I would be able to tell my younger self that you really do get the most satisfaction from that part of it. I mean, yeah. after a while, it wears off to see your name in print, right? <laughs> and uh, but it doesn't wear off to like uh, write something that you like. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, you probably get desensitized to the media stuff and. But it's good that you still enjoy the actual craft and, like, you know, still have the passion for it. I, thanks. I do. And except the days I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Join the club, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been an absolute blast. You're a very cool, interesting guy. And I've loved getting to know you a little better. Thank you. I've enjoyed getting to know you a little better, too. It was a good, it was a nice bunch of questions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, yeah, Penalty Man is, I think it's May 25th. We can all get May to. 25th in uh, bookstores and in comic shops, May 12th. Awesome. That's great. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking out some more of your uh, titles at Ahoy. It sounds just the ones you told me. I'm like, oh, I, I, that's definitely right up my alley. <laughs> Good. I hope you like them. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure. Uh, please come back again. This has been so much fun. Will do. Thanks for having me. All right. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out Spoilerverse.com because at Spoilerverse.com, we have a plethora, amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers. And oh my God, are you a lover of comic books like we are? And then so there's many. so many amazing people from the comic book world over at Spoilerverse.com. And I highly implore you to go there and check it out. Yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcts on our network, like Bridges and Geekdoms and Funny Book Forensics and Haphazard Adventures and Nerds from the Crypt and so many more. Misery Point Radio. All the time. Go check all of them out. And check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you, every day on Swillivers.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. If you want to help support the site? You can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash country. We'll go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it obviously on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once and really... <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. Spaghetti.